good stuff, singing to the Lord. That's why we're here. That's why we're on this earth. That's why we exist for His glory, to know Him. Luke chapter 4 is where we'll be this morning. Luke chapter 4, it is written. Luke chapter 4, as you turn there, um, like to say hello this morning. Ni hao. Very good, very good. Uh, we have lots of uh, Chinese folk who are working at the Japanese restaurant. So please go in there and sometime and say ni hao and, or any of the Chinese restaurants and um, it'll mean something to them. They might ask you, how do you know this word? And you can say, well, I learned it at my church. And may start a gospel conversation and one of, someone can come to know Christ for all eternity. How can they call upon the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching? I'd like to introduce some guests real quickly. Uh, Joey and Lauren. Gabbard, everybody say, hey, Joey. Hey, Lauren. Uh, Lauren, quick fact, she was starting her 8th grade year when I was her student pastor at, uh, in Batesville, Mississippi, and, and then Joey came along, um, almost missionary dating in a way, um, in 10th grade, and then, uh, long story short, uh, they are feel called to go to South Asia in July, and they are selling everything that they have, and packing up, and, and leaving on an airplane, and hopefully they will come back again. Um, but they are going to go to a place that um, millions upon millions of people within a metro area, it's just fun, it's exciting that they're going to go proclaim the gospel, partnering with the IMB, yet not dependent upon the IMB. How awesome is that? So they're actually using their careers that uh, through college, and, and Joey does computer stuff and, and all of that. And then Lauren's a teacher. And so they're not dependent on anything, anybody except for the Lord. And that is exciting. That's exciting. So that's what we need to be doing. Be tent makers unto the Lord. And I'm so proud and so thankful for them. Um, so thank you guys for being here. Welcome. We hope you feel the powerful love of Jesus in the house. And if you're also a guest this morning, anybody, welcome. We're glad you're here. We hope that the Lord will speak and encourage you. And hope that you will see a little glimpse of His glory through, his, uh, through this time together as God, with God's people. Luke chapter 4 is where we're going to be. The first uh, verses all the way from verse 1 uh, probably to verse 14. But we don't know what's going to happen. So we'll, let's just take it a section at a time. I do want to go back to uh, verse the, the end of chapter 3. You notice last week, what did we talk about for those of us that were here? Oh my goodness, I need you to sit down right now. What did we talk about last Sunday in Luke chapter 3? Who was the main character? John the Baptist. Okay, he brought a message of what? He preached a message of repentance, right? And it wasn't the rosy part of the gospel. It was, you are a sinner. In fact, he called the, the religious experts, you brood of vipers. You sons of the devil, you... Basically, he say, look, you deserve hell. All of you. And that's a fact for us this morning. Apart from Christ, that's what you and I deserve. Because we have sinned against a holy God. And so at the end of Luke chapter 3, you see that basically Jesus comes and 
he's baptized. And this is symbolic of the beginning of his earthly ministry. Look in verse 21, chapter 3. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a buzzard. Nope. Like a, a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Okay? This is, this is ginormous in the, in the kingdom, in, in the picture of, of what Jesus has come to do. Matthew focuses more upon the baptism in his account, the Gospel of Matthew. But the Gospel of Luke focuses more on what happens after the baptism. Notice the language. It says that all the people were baptized and Jesus shows up and He had been baptized and was praying. Luke always emphasizes Luke's uh, Jesus' prayer life because that is crucial. In fact, this morning, if, if we're not praying every day, we're, we're really functioning as atheists. We, we, we're not believing it, that the Lord is there and that He has all power and that He cares about us. And if we're not in the Word every day, then it's really a lack of faith that God's Word is powerful and alive and effective and applicable to our life. But it says he's been, He was baptized, He was praying, and then the heavens were opened up. Better look out. The heavens were opened up. This is not normal. And the Holy Spirit, capital H, capital S, the Holy Spirit, in English, by the way, descended on Him in bodily form like a dove. Now, God could have chosen anything to be symbolic of, of the Holy Spirit coming to fully rest and reside on Jesus. Could have been a bald eagle, right? Could have been a hawk. By the way, I saw a bald eagle on Beach Boulevard and past Christian another day. And when I saw it, I thought I was in like a dinosaur movie. I thought, okay, I'm seeing things. I have I had too much coffee, or I'm I'm just I don't know, I'm seeing the clouds or something. It was massive. I feared for my life. It was so big. And so I Googled, be careful now when you Google. Five point nine feet. To seven and a half feet is the wingspan of a bald eagle. I don't know about you, but I'm 6'2", and so I'm thinking, man, that thing's like, his wings are wider than my body. He could eat me. So, yeah, think about it. The Spirit could have come in a bald eagle. The Spirit could have come in an osprey, but it came in a dove. Why? Because those, those ferocious warrior birds, right, that can take out a chihuahua or any, any, any other ferocious animals. They symbolize what? Might and strength. And what is a dove? What is a dove picture? Innocence, right? Almost weakness in a a way. It was very symbolic for the Jewish people. They they were ready for Jesus to show up with a sword. They were were ready for Him to lead the armies to take over Jerusalem. to, To take it back from the Roman Empire. And so this was, this was huge for all the people there beside the Jordan. All of the Jewish people, all the Israelites, they were watching this happen. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. It probably was a voice that did not sound like James Earl Jones. It was probably a voice that did not sound like anything we've ever heard before, but it was the voice of God. Can you imagine? We can't imagine. We, there's no way to even wonder what that was like. And then you see uh, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. 
and this is the beginning of his earthly ministry. In other words, the Lord gave Jesus the green light. The, uh, God the Father gave, basically started the ball rolling here at the baptism of Jesus, and it would ultimately end at the cross. And then you see this genealogy, and you can read through it, and you think, my gracious, why did the Lord put all of these words and these relatives in the Bible? Many reasons. I hope just what Corey just said, that the Lord is real. It's the reality of the gospel, may it sink in. And when we, when we see all of these words, it should make us ask some questions. Matthew traces geology, uh, genealogy back to Abraham. But Luke takes it all the way back to Adam. Now many times you see the word son here in Luke, and it, that word in Greek is not even there. The word heli, you may see it in a few places. It, it basically meant a, it could be a grandson or, or even a relative. It didn't necessarily mean like it was such and such as actual son. And so what matters in the lineage is not that every member be included, but that the genuine line of descent would be maintained. Jesus is the second Adam and represents a new start for you, for me, for the whole world. The first Adam would be tested on a full belly in a garden that was awesome. I mean, it was five star. Everything they wanted, every food they wanted to taste. The last Adam was victorious with an empty belly in a treacherous desert that we're about to see. And so what was stolen in the garden was paid for at the cross. Luke chapter 4, Jesus is tempted. Verse 1. We're going to take it a few verses at a time. And so before we get into it, let's, let's just pray right now. If you like, let's just close our eyes and maybe if you have a Bible, just hold it there in your lap. And just whisper silently just a prayer. Lord, I believe this is your word. Let's pray right now. Lord, I believe this is your word. God, I pray that you'd speak. Because I am your son. I am your daughter. God, would you speak to me today through your word. God, I believe by faith that your word is alive. That it is profitable for teaching me, for rebuking me, for training me. God, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1, chapter 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for how many days? Forty days. Being tempted by the devil. Now, interesting, just that verse. If you examine it and you look at it, what do you see? What do you see? Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. He returns from the Jordan and He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. You see, this whole passage this morning, it's not so much about Jesus overcoming His own flesh. It's not so much about Jesus, you know, facing temptations of the world and overcoming them, although that is an application. But these temptations were messianic in nature. These temptations were very specific to tempt Jesus as God's one and only Son. And so number verse 1, it says, being filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit. This conflict is not initiated by the devil. 
but it's initiated by who? By the Lord. You see, Satan, he didn't want to go toe-to-toe with Jesus. In fact, he would have bowed out of that fight really quickly. But the Spirit led him into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Which means being surrendered this morning, application, just this first verse. Being surrendered to the Lord's leading. Walking in the Spirit and being in tune with God. Going where God calls you to go daily. Essentially, can pick a fight with the devil and his minions. Following the Lord can get you in more trouble than following anybody else. And not just trouble with someone like the United, uh, the President of the U.S. or the President of China or President of North Korea or, or General uh, James Mattis, who I love. But this is Satan who is more powerful. Okay, God has allowed him to have power on this earth. And so being obedient to the Lord better just buckle up. Because if you are a, a light-bearing, gospel-proclaiming believer, then the enemy will know exactly who you are and where you are. But hey, this morning, if you're not really, if you just come to church on Sundays and you just really could care less about following the Lord Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and your life's all about yourself and what you can get out of this life and about your family and how you can have two and a half kids and a little cute dog, if that's what your life's about, this morning, then yeah, Satan probably doesn't know you who you are, probably doesn't know what you're doing and could care less. But if you are a threat to the enemy this morning, if you're in tune with the Spirit, then the, the demons know your name. What a privilege. What a privilege. And we don't have to be afraid at all. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Yesu. There's power in the name of Yesu Christo. And so sometimes confrontations in our life does not come from the devil. We always blame it on the devil, don't we? Have a tough day. I did it this week every day. Man, I'm so sick of the devil. But a lot of times, our, the confrontations in our life, it has nothing to do with the enemy. We give him way too much credit. But it has to do with the Lord. So Jesus was not tempted in this passage so the Father could determine the Son's character or the Son's ability to deal with sin. He was God Almighty. Nor was Jesus tempted in order to give Satan a chance to defeat Him. The temptation allowed Jesus to bear the human experience of temptation and to teach us how to have victory over sin. I'm going to say that again. The temptation allowed Jesus to bear the human experience of temptation and to teach us this morning how to have victory over sin. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Therefore He had to be made like His brothers in every respect, so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. 
For because He Himself has suffered when tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. And that should encourage your socks off this morning. To know that our God was tempted in every way that we are. Hebrews chapter 4, verse, 6, verse 14 says, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Who has a God like this? Nobody. Unless the Lord is their God. And so this morning, the recipe for kicking the the devil's rear end is the Spirit of God and the Word of God. You're about to see that. Look what happens. See, Satan attacks the sonship. Verse 2. For forty days, being tended by the devil, he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. He was fully human. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now, notice, there's probably a lot of temptation during those 40 days, but uh, the enemy is patient and waits for a vulnerable time when he's coming after us, when he wants to destroy your family, when he wants to destroy your testimony. So it says when they were ended, when Jesus was hungry, that's when the old snake shows up. And he tempts him. If you are really the Son of God, and you're hungry, command this stone to become bread. And look what happens. Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. The enemy didn't want any of that. Next he says, well, it's verse 5, And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. What do you think about this? It's crazy. It's crazy. Long before Satan questioned Jesus, he was already the Son. John chapter 8, verse 58 says, Truly, truly, I tell you, Jesus declared, before Abraham was what? I am. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see, Satan is asking ridiculous things. He is tempting Jesus. And Jesus could have said, You nutcase, I was there when you were thrown out of heaven. Jesus could have said many things to to counter the enemy. 
But instead, he just quotes the Word of God. Jesus responded showing victory over temptation to prove He was more powerful than Satan. To prove that God's Word is more powerful and more final than the enemy. Verse 5, this temptation, it's all about the enemy tries to make Jesus forget the truth. And the truth, he says, look at all these kingdoms. Jesus, you can have them. Now the Lord could have said what? Buddy, I already, I already have them. I, I, already, I already know everybody and every hair on every head. But he didn't respond that way. Instead, he addresses the temptation head on. And in fact, by his answer, look at what verse he quotes from Deuteronomy. He says, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Now, what did that do for, the, for Satan? It reminded Satan of when he rebelled against the Lord. He addressed the temptation, but he picked a verse that cut right to the heart of the devil. You see, Satan had worshipped himself and served himself over the Lord. He was created to worship and serve the Lord, not himself. And when he rebelled against that, he was kicked out of heaven. Then look at what happens next. Verse 9, And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, now notice who's quoting Scripture, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You see, we can be alert in this by seeing this passage that Satan attempts to twist Scripture. Do you see that ever in our culture? How many teachers will twist Scripture? How many celebrities in our culture will twist a verse and take it out of context and apply it to their life? And look at, notice how the Lord responds. Verse 12, And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation... He departed from him until an opportune time. In other words, the devil walked away with his tail between his legs until another time. So, this morning, how in the world do we take this and add it to us as individuals? How do we learn from all of the lessons the Lord is trying to teach us? You ever, are you ever tempted? We talk about temptation, it's very personal, right? We don't want to deal with it, we don't want to talk about it, we don't think about it, we like to just sit and coast in our chair on Sunday, and we like to go through our routine, and we don't want to talk about it or think about it. A lot of times. But this morning, if you're taking notes, I'd like to give you a few verses that you can quote verbatim when certain temptations arise. Okay? The first one, James chapter 4, verse 7. And this is helpful when any temptation comes your way. When any 
attack of the enemy. When, you're, when your flesh begins to wonder. We can quote this verse. James chapter 4 verse 7. You've heard it before, many of you. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, when you're born again, you're rescued, right? We're, we're set apart. Holy, anointed, chosen to bear the gospel, to be a light bearer, to be the salt of the earth, to be a part of a local body of believers, to be kingdom-minded instead of worldly-minded, to be kingdom-focused instead of worldly-focused, to have a purpose that is eternal instead of just a purpose that lasts maybe 80 years at the most, or 90. Maybe you make it to 100. But compared to eternity, that's just so short. But we have a privilege that, that we get to be a part of, of work that goes on forever and ever and ever. And the enemy hates our guts. Not because it's personal. He doesn't really care about us. But he's trying to get at the Lord and he knows how much that God Almighty loves us. We just sing about it. Love that you, we cannot fathom. Love that's uncomprehendable. You see, the enemy knows that. And so he's trying to get at God the Father. He's trying to, whatever he can do. And so we need to live with common sense. If you know your weakness, we all have a weakness. We all have those certain things, those thorns in the flesh, those natural, maybe even genetic uh, propensity, the things that we just lean towards, and those, those things that can really take us out. Right? I mean, don't you know those things? And so, we need to live with common sense and not put ourselves in certain situations. Especially premeditated. Premeditated sin is the worst kind. Habitual sins. That you know ahead of time that you're going to rebel against the Lord. That His Word says, do not do this or do not look at that. And you and yet we walk forward and we sin against the Lord. That's just not, it's not even living by even a little bit of common sense. My wife used an illustration that I think helps, it makes so much sense. She says if you have a cliff, and you can fall off the cliff spiritually, why walk close to the cliff? Stay far from the cliff. Because the wind is going to blow, right? The earth is going to shake. Things are going to happen in your life, in my life, that we didn't count on happening. And when that time comes, you may get knocked over closer towards the cliff, but you might not fall off. And so if you, if alcoholism is totally ravaging and ruining your life, you probably shouldn't hang out in certain places. It's, it's common sense. You shouldn't run with certain folks. That doesn't mean you shouldn't care about them, you shouldn't love them, you shouldn't seek to reach them. That's not what I'm saying. But we cannot put ourselves in dumb situations and expect God to bless it. Expect God to, you know, go live like a heathen and come back and worship the Lord. That's not repentance. Repentance is walking away from something, turning away from it. And that doesn't mean, right, that we're going to dibble-dabble sometimes and look back and but when we do, we don't have to stay there. We can get up, we can confess it, get clean before God, and head on on our way towards the Lord.
The next verse I'd like to give you, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says, No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So, this is great for whenever we are um, feeling sorry for ourselves and we think that there's no way out because Satan has just lied to us over and over and over and over again until we start believing it. And so when we, we're down in the dumps, you know, kind of like Elijah. Lord, I try to do this, and I try to serve you, and then you start feeling sorry for yourself and, and, and lose your faith. Quote this verse. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So you may think, Satan may think that you have a greater struggle than everybody else. But Scripture says that it's not common to man. That no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. God is faithful. God is faithful. Can we just say that together? God is faithful. God is faithful. Oh, the enemy doesn't like that. God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation... He will also provide the way of escape. That you may be able to endure it. And so when we are tempted, when that thought comes into our brain, when that temptation is laid before us, the Bible teaches, that Scripture teaches, that the Lord will always give us a way out. He gives us a way out every single time. There's an, there's an opening. There's a door that's open. And that's when we should flee. Get going. We skedaddle. We should go through that door. And don't look back. Just get out the door and go somewhere. When I was in 8th grade, I came back from Centrifuge and I was so fired up for the Lord. I mean, I was so excited. And I was in 8th grade. And I should be vulnerable. I'm going to be honest. Because I'm afraid that many times we're not honest and we're not real and it's stifling the church. It's killing us. We act like experts and then we don't struggle with sin. And then we're just, we're lying to ourselves. And the, this morning I hope we see that God could... He wants us to live in victory. We don't have to keep getting beat up every day. It is finished, and we'll see that in a second. But as an 8th grader, the struggle was real. And I remember thinking uh, certain things, temptations would come my way, and I would just go outside and just run laps. Because that's what I had to do. I remember my mom one time, what are you doing? I'm just, you know, getting in shape. Football season's coming up. But we, the Lord this morning, He is looking for somebody somewhere in this house that will do whatever it takes to avoid sin. We sing about loving the Lord. Well, our life will illustrate that truth. It's time for the sheep to be separated from the goats. That doesn't mean that we'll be perfect. But it does mean we can have victory over sin daily. 
when you're tempted and you're, you're running low on faith, anybody, uh, your faith meter, it gets low, right? I mean, the struggle is real. You had not slept. Life's not fair. Your cell phone breaks. Your car breaks. When you're running low on faith, here's a verse for you. Luke chapter 1, verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. When you're running low on faith, just quote that. For nothing will be impossible with God. And try to muster up some faith to believe that, but hey, even if you don't, in the moment. Let's just be real. If you're struggling to believe that truth, just say it out loud. And there's power in it. The Word of God is is powerful. It has the power to demolish strongholds. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. Next, whenever your will collides with God's will. When, when your will for your life is in confrontation with what God might want you to do. Maybe it's where to go to college. Maybe it's uh, what career path to take. Maybe it's what house to buy. Maybe it's, you know, whatever. When your will collides with God's will, and, the, and that struggle, to be honest, is just difficult. You can quote this verse, Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe you, you tell your spouse, I really think the Lord wants us to go this way. Man, if you're in the house, if you ever say that, and then your wife's like, well, maybe the Lord wants us to go this way. Uh-oh. Is it, is it her way? Is it your way? Or is it God's way? Or is she right here from the Lord and you're not? Or are you right? I mean, it's important to seek these things out if we're going to be obedient believers. So when your will collides with God's will, just quote that. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that verse do? It reminds us. It's not about my kingdom. It's about the Lord's kingdom. It's about His will. And we can trust Him. His will's good. Like He's a good Father. He wants to give good things to His children. Next, when the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes seems too strong to bear. When the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes seems too strong to bear, we can quote this verse. Romans chapter 13. Romans 13, verse 13 through 14. And this is going to take some time to memorize, okay? But it can be worth it. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And if you just say, I can't memorize that, my gracious, these Baptist preachers want us to memorize the Scripture, just say the last part. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Just get that part, okay? But put on the Lord Jesus Christ... And make no provision for the flesh. If you're a man in the house, 
1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 and 14 says, Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Be strong. Let everything you do be done in love. We have the weapon that God gave us. And a sword is a defensive tool. And it's an offensive weapon. Right? And many of us, our sword is still in the sheath. We're not using it like we should. In fact, many of us, if we're really honest, we try to overcome temptation on our own strength, don't we? We try to overcome it on our own uh, spirituality. We try to overcome it uh, based on what our mom and dad taught us and, and what we've learned you know, in Bible study. But at the end of the day, the Lord has given us the Spirit of God and the Word of God to overcome temptation. And we can live in victory. Lastly, when you are tempted, when I am tempted to try to earn merit with God, when, I, when we are tempted to try to, to earn God's forgiveness, this is, the, this is the world's problem right here. Every world, world religion is trying to earn God's favor, trying to, to find forgiveness, find peace, trying to climb that ladder. When we are tempted to, to add to the gospel, we can quote this verse in John chapter 19, verse 30. It is finished. Well, I don't feel like I'm forgiven, so I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go check out such and such and see how I can serve and see how I can do this, so I feel better about my sin, or so I can feel better about my self worth. When you're tempted to do that, just quote that verse. Just say it out loud. It is finished. When everybody else is trying to act like a spiritual expert and they're just so great at sharing the gospel and winning people to Jesus and you start feeling insecure and you start feeling like you're second class Christian and you don't have what it takes to follow the Lord, you quote this, it is finished. Because it is. Jesus wins every time. That's good news, church. It's good news. His kingdom this morning is on the move. So we're going to have time of invitation. And I hope we respond as the Lord leads. God, we love you. Thank you, Lord, that your word is alive. Thank you that you are an awesome God. Uh, Father, as we get ready to respond to this text, Lord, to this moment in history where your very Son... The Lord Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. God, I pray that we would take these truths and apply them to our life. Lord, that we would cling tight to the Word of God. Lord, that we would surrender daily and walk by the Spirit so we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Father, You want Your people to be different. So Lord, help us. God, give us strength. Give us what we need to shine for You. When people are looking and when people are not looking in public and in private. God, help us to be people, men and women of integrity. Lord, help us to shine for you, for your glory. Praise in Jesus' name.